0: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Tuesday, December the 6th. This is episode 797 of the Survival Podcast and uh, today we're going to talk about a subject that a lot of you have been mentioning lately and how to avoid it, and that is prepper burnout. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of people out there going, man, I'm glad he's doing this show today, just looking at the title. And uh, I don't think I'll let you down with it, man. I think I'm going to bring it for you today. I'm going to make you feel better about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're doing it. And I'm going to make you feel a little less apprehensive about some of the things you're not able to do just yet. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do an awful lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, westernbotanicals.com. You know, I'm even going to mention a little bit about herbology today. I'm a student of herbology. I know a lot of stuff about herbs, and I know how to find and grow a lot of my own herbs. But when I want something and I can't grow it or find it, Guess where I go? I go to westernbotanicals.com because I know this is a couple things. One, they will always have it. Whatever it is, they're going to have it. Two, uh, it's going to be organically grown or wildcrafted, so I know I can depend on it. Uh, three, if I'm not sure what I need, I know they're going to help me find what I need. Four, I'm going to get great pricing and service, and that's why I always deal with Western Botanicals because I know that Kyle Christensen, who runs Western Botanicals, has the heart of a servant, and he wants to help his customers have better healthier lives money is secondary doing the right thing is primary and that results in a successful business for them and that's a great reason to do business with western botanicals check them out today if you get there and you're overwhelmed by all the choices pick the phone up call them tell them what you're trying to deal with if they will help you you have my word on that next up today knife kits.com. you know uh, I, I just had a really awesome custom knife made by uh, my buddy patrick rorman and i even had him on the show to talk about homesteading and some other things and soap making and he is a master bladesmith. This guy makes a knife from raw materials, right? This guy actually creates laminated steel raw form blades. And then I've actually even, I don't think my kid listens to the show, so I'll say he's getting one for Christmas made with an ironwood handle. Um, but the handle for that knife came from knifekits.com, and it's Mammoth Tusk. And it was something I decided to do for myself, and something special I decided to do for myself, a knife that I would carry until I died, and it would be then handed down to my son or my grandchildren. And uh, so that's the level you can go to with KnifeKits.com. But let's say you, you're not ready for that yet. You just kind of want to learn how to do fit and finish and sharpening and stuff like that. And you really have never even done it before. All you know is basic hand tool use. Well, you can get a DVD, a kit, and some raw materials for the handle material. And you can kind of start like at a snap together model level instead of a master bladesmith level. And you can progress as far as you want with that. Or you can just make one or two really cool, unique, personalized knives using the basic kits. That's what's awesome about Knife Kits. They also have a really cool catalog. Make sure you request that. They'll send it to you. I enjoy more looking through a catalog than browsing a website, especially with things that are kind of aesthetic like that. Uh, next up today, remember you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And the Survival Podcast is now featured on the Prepper Podcast Radio Network five days a week streaming in the afternoons along with some other really great shows on prepping and homesteading. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. I'm running a sale right now for new members or members that renew by mail. And the discount code for that is SNOW. And that 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 sale runs through the 15th of December. And that's when it ends. It will be the last sale of the year. And we probably will not run another sale until like March or April of 2012. So if you've been waiting for a sale, this is the one to jump on. How good is it? 30 bucks for your first year. And uh, that's a great deal, folks. That because there's you know one or two benefits in there alone that exceed that cost. Like oh I don't know the glycation factor, a 500 page thesis by Dr. Greg Ellis on cutting edge nutritional science worth 49 bucks. Uh, how about a lifetime membership to Safe Castle Royal? 49 dollar value, absolutely free. So right there is 98 bucks. Uh, on top of that, Western Botanicals, who I just mentioned, does their preferred membership for the first year for free. That's a $50 value. There's $148. bucks. right, so there's a great deal there in return for $30. And if you have a spouse or somebody that listens to the show and has been thinking about it, you could even do it for a Christmas present. If you want to do that and keep it a complete surprise, you can use the form joined by mail. Tell us however you want, you know, who you want us to send the stuff to, and we'll send it to you, and you can give it to them. And they won't know that you did it for them. We'll do whatever we can to help make that stuff work for you. And remember, military, law enforcement, uh, Peace Corps, active duty your prior service. Email me with details of your service. You get your own discount. It's unique. It's not as big on the first year. But it applies to your annual renewals and you can use it on a monthly or a a six month membership or any membership term you want. It kind of actually costs us money when you do it on a monthly, uh, because the charge is so low in relation to the, uh, into the, uh, the PayPal charge for taking five bucks and knocking it down to like three bucks. But we're happy to do it anyway to thank you for your service. And with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. I kind of wanted to start out with, um, why people feel this way and specifically why this time of year is part of why people feel this way. This is uh you know, I I can tell you a lot more today about this dynamic than I could have four years ago when I went into Christmas the first time. Uh, my show was new and exciting. Most of you guys that were finding my show were finding it for, you know, the, right, right around that time. So, a lot of you guys in the first year found me in November, December. So, you didn't really get the seasonal effect. And there wasn't that many people. Uh, when you have 25,000 people you're talking to, you get a lot more feedback. So, in my second year, I saw it, but not to the level I have this year. And then my third year, I saw it heavy. And this year, I'm seeing it even heavier. And that's Prepper Burnout. And I think some people are saying, well, maybe I'm burnout with Jack. And maybe you are. I Don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but what I want to tell you that I've noticed when it's prepper burnout, right? It's not just you're tired of hearing me or tired of hearing my guests or whatever. When it's prepper burnout, this time of year, it's generally related to the seasonal blaws that you you get anyway. All of a sudden, it gets dark an hour earlier, and then in a month into that, it's like two hours earlier. It's not even five o'clock and it's dark out. If you work a nine to five job, you get out of your office, you finally leave, you go out the door, and it's dark and cold and raining or snowing. That sucks. And then, you know, you get up in the morning, and it's cold, and it's wet, and it's nasty, and it's just there's not enough light, and it sucks. And then it gets cloudy and stormy, and then even the little bit of daylight you're supposed to get is not there. And, and and it's just a blah thing. And then you add to it worried about the debt crisis in Europe or a potential pandemic or meltdown of a nuclear facility or any of the things that we prepare for at the big level, the, the mile-high view of prepping. And you just feel like, man, I, I don't know if I can take any more of this. So that's one of the big things. There's some other things that come up. One's expense. And I don't think it's generally an ongoing thing with expense that really burns people out because people that are working and building more and more into their preps, that are doing it very smart and doing a little bit over time, are generally attributing a certain part of their budget that they're able to do that. I think more it's that people do what they can in crisis mode, and then they get to the point where it's like the big things they need to do next, like putting in backup uh, power or something like that with a standby generator or going solar or off-grid, or they want to get out of that apartment into a house, and they're trying to pay their debt off. So basically they've come as far as they feel that they can, and to take the next steps, they know what they want to do, but they know they can't do it now for a fiscal reason, and being reminded about that gaping hole in their preps every day doesn't feel real good. So when they get on and they hear me talk about solar for the 50 billionth time, and they're like, I just can't do that right now. Um, or I did it with a little 60-watt set of panels and some batteries, and that's all I can do for now. They're like, man, I don't want to hear it anymore because I'm stuck now. I'm at the end of where I can be. I don't think that's true, but I think that's how the person feels. So we'll talk about how to get around that today. Uh, the next one is a lack of focus on the positive. I think that I try very hard to keep things upbeat around here. And I think it's part of why some of you didn't like some of the guests because my guests come out of our industry and our industry is built, unfortunately, on fear. So I bring a guest on and instead of talking about solutions, they tend to talk about problems because that's how they sell books. That doesn't mean we can't learn from them. That doesn't mean I don't respect them and appreciate them and think there's value there. If I didn't, I wouldn't bring them on. But maybe bringing on guests that focus on that type of thing this time of year is a mistake and one I'll try not to make again in the future. So that that's one thing. But I don't think it's just what you get from my show. I think that many people in their lives tend to get down in these doldrums and they focus on all the negative aspects of the fear-based pathology of preparedness. We focus on the things the media blame us for focusing on and then turn to the media and go, stop doing that. So we have to focus more on the positive, and I'll I'll talk about how to do that today. I think fear is another big thing, and I think it's a fear that is greater once you know the truth. So person comes into the preparedness world, they're afraid, but they don't know why. Then they figure out what there is to be afraid of, and they learn that there's actually a lot of crap out there that's really dangerous, and that society sits in a very precarious state at all times. So then they take the basic steps of preparedness as far as they come. They hit that financial level where they cannot go further at this current time. And then that overriding fear about the places they know that they're the most vulnerable tends to bring them down. And that can go right back to a lack of focus on the positive aspects of things. It makes me think, remember the movie Men in Black with Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith? when, When Will first finds out about what's going on? And how the aliens have always been here and everything. And it's a comedy for those of you who haven't seen it. It doesn't take itself too seriously. But then he freaks out. He's like, there's a a thing ready to destroy the Earth. And Tommy leaves. The old agent says to him, there's always something. There's always something there. The the only thing that keeps these people on this planet from going absolutely back shit crazy is they don't know it. You do. You have to go to a higher level and help keep things under wraps. And I think that there's a lesson there about life. It's not just about the comedy and the funny aliens and all the crap that went with that movie. By the way, if you've never seen that movie and you need a good lift, and even if you have seen it, get it on Netflix or whatever and watch it. uh, You know, Instead of just another feel-good Hallmark movie uh, of of non-reality, go see something that's not even supposed to be reality. You'll laugh your ass off at that movie and maybe even learn something. But fear. I think another one is lack of community, a feeling of being alone. So you come here and you get me, but I think maybe some of you need to spend more time engaging with other people in the community on Facebook and the forum and the other great forums and communities that are out there, but also reaching out into your own community and doing community action. Uh, I had a couple emails recently about how do I build community if I'm not good at talking to people and I have that you know that problem with finding people locally. And I asked a couple of these people have you listened to the episode I did with Marjorie Wildcraft on building community? And the very soft, easy way that she did that down in her area and most of those people said no. So I'm going to recommend that if you're looking for that, that you listen to that episode. I'll put a link in today's show notes. Um, and then the next one is I think a lot of people are burned out because early on they made stupid and expensive decisions. So they went out and they did something really dumb and really reckless and spent a whole bunch of money on crap food that they're never going to eat and maybe they put 1000 bucks, or 1200 bucks, or 1500 bucks, or 2000 bucks into that and now it's just sitting there and they're looking at it going, I don't even know what to do with this crap. And it might be food, it might be some type of expensive uh, uh, power backup system. I don't know what it is. But there's plenty of people out there that bought something dumb and now they're living with the choice and they're thinking, I just wish I had the money back. And that could be even a, you know, sometimes that's not even a prepper item. Maybe it's early on you did some something stupid like buy a $60,000 pickup truck with a $700 a month payment and now you're sitting there looking at it and going, i got to pay for this piece of crap for f- five more years because I financed it for six. And that $700 could be doing so much to further my liberty and my freedom and my independence. And I, the truck's upside down, and I can't get out from underneath it. And that the best I can do is maybe take really good care of it and pay for it for two or three more years, and then maybe I can get for out from under it. Then I can buy a beater. Then I can spend the money for another year. And then I, you know, I mean, and, and so I think that there's some stupid decisions that we make as preppers, and there's some stupid decisions that we made before we became preppers, and now we're living with those decisions. And as we look at what we can't do, and we're back to expense, we see that stupid decision for what it was, and that burns us out. So those are the big things that burn us out. Now, I'm going to talk about a lot of the positive things we can focus on and how we can do a lot better in our daily lives with our mental state, but I just gave you a bunch of problems. Now, there's one thing I've always tried to do on this show. If I give you problems, I'm going to give you solutions. So what I'm going to give you is what I believe can be done for between $500 and $750, and much of it can be done for almost nothing or free, and much of it can be done for a couple hundred bucks. And this is something that you can phase into that will make you damn well prepared um, in most any situation that comes your way. Number one, the best cheap-ass way to have enough food to get by a month or two in a crisis situation, even though I don't eat it daily anymore because I went paleo, beans, rice, flour, wheat, right? Some food-grade buckets, and some hand warmers. What are the hand warmers for? Well, you can get hand warmers, especially on clearance, and they're going to go on clearance as soon as deer season's over, uh, at like Walmart and sporting goods stores and all for like 60 cents for two big ones. Those are giant O2 absorbers. If you take a food-grade bucket, fill it up with beans that you buy at Sam's or, or uh, Costco or something like that, and toss one or two of those big hand warmers in there and and, and shut up that bucket, it's like using a whole bunch of O2 absorbers. They work exactly the same way. They have the exact same material in there, and you could add maybe some pasta to that. And if you fill up four or five buckets, uh, maybe we even go to a dozen buckets with a varied assortment of beans, rice, flour, wheat, and pasta, and you put that away, that's good for 10 years or more. No matter what anybody tells you, it's good for about 10 years or more. In fact, or more is reality. As long as you keep it somewhere where nothing can chew through that bucket and get to it, you're good. Now, let me explain what you've just done. You've got maybe three months of survival rations there. This is not stuff you want to live on day to day. This is any what you store in store where you eat, but you're afraid. This is for the person that says, I just don't have enough food storage. I need to get something done. You do that. You put it away. You forget about it unless you need it. And if you end up in a crisis situation where you've done the other stuff, going down the road, copy canning or whatever, and you have hungry neighbors but it's a short-term solution, you feed them the gruel and you eat the good stuff. If you run out of good stuff in a long-term situation, you turn to your gruel. Now you've got room, now you've got time, now the pressure's off for food. Done. You put together a blackout kit. That's candles, flashlights, batteries, right, and maybe some emergency, other forms of emergency lighting. Maybe you go get a couple old school oil lamps. You can buy all that shit in a thrift store or a dollar store for under 10 bucks. You can buy a ton of it. Look for candles on clearance. Look for tea lights on clearance. That shit's gonna go on clearance like crazy in January, folks. Right? After all the fools are done returning the crap that they didn't really want, you go out there and buy the really cheap stuff even cheaper. You put together a blackout kit. Put together a bug out kit. 99% of your bug out kit is stuff that's already in your house. You need a knife. I guarantee you there's a spare knife in your house somewhere, right? You need some extra clothing. There's clothes you don't wear. Put them in there, right? You need some food. If you have to, if you feel that you need to, go out and buy three MREs for every person in your house and field strip them down. Great video at ITS Tactical that you can see on field stripping an MRE to make it take up less space. I'll put a link to that too today and shove them in there. But the reality is you can put together basic stuff without spending any extra money whatsoever, uh, that will give you a few days' worth of food and some things like that. Um, next thing, you need a documentation package. You can do that for free. Oh, that's right. You'll have to pay for the printer and the ink. So I did a great episode way back in the beginning about putting the other documentation package. You need a copy of that for every vehicle and at least one in the home. And you need to have everybody familiar with that. And every time you update it, you print out enough papers for all of so I'm going to call that free. You're going to scrounge up some old binders around the house somewhere. You're going to do that. You're going to put that in place. Um Now, we're going to move on to things that you don't really need, but they'll take you to the next level, and we can do it very, very inexpensively. One small generator, two batteries, and a power inverter and charger. Uh, I bet you can do all that for about 400 bucks or less. Uh, I've seen little generators all the time uh, for a couple hundred dollars, and that's going to be your biggest expense. You can probably find some used batteries that will work in a pinch, uh, you could probably make some deals, call some junkyards about batteries, and, and a lot of junkyards will say we have a blanket price on our batteries, right? This doesn't have to be high-end equipment, and, and when you put that together, you have backup power in two ways. Directly off the generator, while the generator is running, you can charge the batteries, you move the batteries to a place to run things at night. All right. This is the only thing you need to do with your generator. I want you to go out and find the least expensive, decent, high-quality window unit air conditioner you can find that has the lowest watt draw, and make sure there's plenty of headroom, so that, that one generator can run that one window unit AC. If you live anywhere where you probably are going to need that, like where it gets to 110 degrees, and somebody could die from heat exhaustion in your home. That way you can at least seal one of your rooms off in your house, Put that window unit in that window, stick the, the generator outside, run that air conditioner during the day when it's the hottest, to keep one of your rooms as cool as possible, right? There you go. I want you to put up 25 gallons of gasoline. You can take months to do that if you need to. You buy one can a month, you fill it up with gasoline, and you stabilize it with stable until you have five, five-gallon cans of gasoline stored. And that's for running your generator or your vehicle in a crisis situation. Okay? That's not that much money. You're buying gasoline anyway. If you buy one jug a month, you can literally put one extra gallon in it. Take the can with you that's only got a gallon in it. And this week when you fill your car, add one more gallon. Very, very incremental. Very, very methodical. Very slow over time. Once you get them full... Every time you go fill up, take the, the last can, dump it in your car, take it off to the gas station with you, fill the car, now there's five gallons less in the car, refill the can, put it at the beginning, now you're rotating your gasoline. Very, very cheap, very, very easy. Okay. Uh, we already talked about the window AC. You're also going to want to find one or two portable indoor safe heaters that do not rely on electricity so that you can stay warm. In a, in a situation where the power's out and you don't have enough uh, power from your generator to run a central heating system. If you have a alternate heating source already, like you heat your house with oil or propane and you buy 5,000 gallons a year, or so, whatever it is, 500 gallons a year, um, then you don't need to worry about this one. But this is for people that rely on electric heat, get yourself a couple portable in date store-safe heaters, and put up some fuel for them beyond what you think you need. Then, the last thing you're going to do is go through your house on a witch hunt for junk. Stuff you think you need, but you don't ever use because you have new stuff just like it. Clothing is one perfect example of this. I want you to bundle it all up. I want you to put it into some safe containers. And I want you to cash it somewhere outside of your house. Uh... Don't care where, storage room, outside, anything that if your house burns down or falls down, that stuff will be there. Anything that qualifies as junk you don't want to get rid of that you might use someday but don't use now, put into that cachet. If your house burns down, you'll have all that crap. You didn't spend any extra money. You cleared up space in your home. Done, the end. And let me tell you something about that plan. It's 90% of what anybody ever needs to do to be prepared for any type of disaster up to three months in duration. Now, to get to three months, now we have to increase the gasoline, right? We have to maybe go to some other... But they're very small incremental things we can work on over time. And for a month, you're set. You can deal with anything for a month with that little bit of a prepping plan. Can it be better? Can it be tweaked? Yes, but what I want to do is give you inexpensive, fast, down-and-dirty, easy, take away the fear, basic preparedness plan that anybody can implement in less than 10 months. And I believe anybody out there listening to me can do everything I just said in less than 10 months and know how to use it and probably do better. And if we shop eBay and Craigslist and stuff like that, God knows how cheap we can do that. And if, if you guys would like me to do a show expanding that plan with a cost analysis and a phased entry, I will let me know. But if, it's only if you want it that I'll do that. Because what I want to move to now is the things that I focus on daily and why I focus on them. This is the reality. I'm more prepared than what I just gave you. I'm significantly more prepared than what I just gave you. But it's all been incremental on top of that basic plan. And there's not much more we can do. All this crap, like people are well, I want to do a show on shielding all of my electronics from EMP. Well, unless you have a backup solar system and you've shielded that and like two years worth of fuel for a generator system or something like that, what the hell do you think you're going to do with your electronics when there's no power? Right? Hello? You see what I'm saying, folks? This doomsday, end-of-the-world bullshit that people focus on versus down-and-dirty reality that we can see where it's happened in the past before and what it was like before and what we really need to be able to do, that's why we burn out. Because people focus on that shit in the first place. So are there really bad end-of-the-world scenarios that could occur? Yes, their probability is low enough that you should focus on the things that are likely to occur first. That's as simple as I can make it. And once we've put that basic plan in place, then we have a tendency to burn out because we want to go to those next levels and we're not ready yet, or we don't have the financial means to yet, or we're not in a place in our life where we can yet, or whatever it is. Well, let me tell you what I do focus on. And these are some subjects that I focus on. And then I get stupid hate mail. I I seriously get hate mail every day. I get hate mail that says, stupid nonsense, like what is the exact quote? I put it in the show notes today. Today, I really prepped, unlike yourself. That's what I, I got that yesterday. Because I put out, and this guy was mad about the show I did with Keith Snow about Thanksgiving, how to cook for Thanksgiving. I guess he just got to that yesterday. Today, I really prepped unlike yourself. Such fools, in my opinion, are probably uh, think that listening to some shock jock ramble on about the New World Order while they clean a gun they never fired is really prepping. That's who those people are. You know what, if you're that person, this show's not for you, you're not going to like it. And I'm not going to change it to make you happy, because I'm going to make the other 25,000 people that came here for what it is very, very unhappy. And I'm going to keep focusing on these positive aspects. And the number one thing that I like to focus on is permaculture and gardening. And I get these doomers emailing me all the time. When the shit hits the fan and the zombies rise, you're going to have somebody come and see your garden. It's going to make you a target and they're going to take something away. At least I'll have something to defend, fool. That's how I feel about that. At least I'll have something. What are you going to have? Nothing? Bare dirt? Fine. And what about the other 99 disasters that are more likely than the one that you're focused on? And in all of those 99, my gardening, my permaculture, my homesteading helps me. And this is the big thing, though, because we got into the expense issue. And a lot of people look at permaculture and go, plants and tools and everything. No, you know what? You can go out and exchange seeds for free. You can go out into the, the wilds and you can find different herbs and things that you want to domesticate and bring home. You can spend $25 a year on seeds and get a tremendous new variety of stuff in every year. And I promise you, Without spending a dime, there's one or two things you can do every day from a permaculture standpoint that will help your system develop and give you more sustainability. And those of you in apartments, if you want to do this, you can find a piece of land somewhere where people will let you do it and give you access to it if you really want to. But my belief is it is the one thing that can save this country from itself long term. It is the one thing that can help this society transition when we eventually go through a peak oil scenario, and I don't care if that's 25 years or 35 years away. My view is sooner or later, we're going to flip and deal with it. I, I could be dead by then. That doesn't mean I don't have a responsibility to future generations to start laying the foundation for it today, does it? If, if there's 100 years worth of oil left, does that mean that I have a right to burn it in 50? And say, screw everybody that will be here after I'm dead and ground? Does it? And I think that's how some people are thinking when they when they brush off things like peak oil. Folks, we're going to transition sooner or later. I prefer to start now. I believe that when we're looking at things like I talked about yesterday like downward class migration, that if we can take 20 or 30% of our food bill off the table and start producing it locally, and if we can start building local economies around a permaculture model, it's like putting fire retardant and smoke alarms uh, and, and fireproof materials into our homes. Instead of worrying about what we're going to do when the house burns down, we prevent the fire in the first place, or we're able to stomp it out when it's still smoldering in the basement. And I really believe it's something anybody can do a little bit with every day. There's tons of free information. I've done probably 50 to 60 shows just on the subject with as much information as you'll get in any course that you'll take anywhere. You can get just about every DVD that's out about permaculture is on YouTube and you can view it for free. And if you have extra money and you like it, support the creator and buy a copy. But if you don't have money for now, use the knowledge and share the knowledge and develop it. That's why I focus on it so much. And when people say, well, you know, this, this you know, what are you going to do when, I, you know what, I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. But the reality is if you want to come take what I have out of my house, you have to deal with me. And if you want to take it out of my yard, you have to deal with me too. And that should be all of our attitudes. And the more of us that have that attitude, the less likely we are to deal with people coming to take what we have when they run out. And the more likely we are to have people along the way saying, teach me, show me, help me so I can do this too. And there will always be 1% or 2% of society that is scum. And that number will probably always grow to 4 to 5% of society. And that's a crap load of people when times are really tough. But it's up to us, the 95%, to keep a lid on shit. So I'm not going to not do something because of what might happen. It's the same as you ask clowns that go, I'm never going to buy a house because government might take you away with imminent domain. Well, dude, you showed them, you get shit and they get everything. Good job, jackass. That's how I feel about people like that. So when people tell me that this permaculture stuff isn't survivalism, I say the prime directive of permaculture is the only ethical decision, is to take responsibility for our own existence and the existence of our children. And to me, that is the very definition of survivalism, to be responsible for yourself and responsible for your children. And if you're not doing it for yourself and your children, who the hell are you surviving for? Some doomsday patriotic nonsensical crap that you got by watching Red Dawn when you were seven years old, let go of that shit. it ain't going to help you. It ain't going to help you now and it ain't going to help you in a tough situation. but being able to provide your own food, that'll help you. I also spend a lot of time on skill set improvement because we can do this for free um, I have a little fire pit out on my on my uh, my, my patio. And whenever it's not raining or disgusting outside and I want to sit outside and have a beer or two and sit there and just watch nothing happen in my front yard except birds and squirrels and stuff run around and enjoy where I'm at, I've set up a little fire. And I start that fire a billion different ways. Sometimes I go ahead and I break out a, a bow drill and start it with a bow drill. It's free, right? Uh, but a lot of times I even just start it with a lighter, but I'll try different tenders and things like that. What's going to work? If it's just rained and then things have kind of dried but not fully dried, maybe I go out and shave some bark off a tree and I learn these skill sets. And that's just fire making. I mean, there's a billion skill sets that we can work on. And most of them don't really cost us anything. Plant identification. There's billions of websites. You know, People say, well, I don't have an iPhone with an app or I can go out. You know what? Go out. Find a plant that you're interested in. Cut a piece off of it, bring it home, and see if you can identify it on the internet. If you can't find it, post a picture of it on on our fan page. People will try to identify it for you. Once you know what it is, you've added one plant to your identification. Once you ID it, look up information. That's all free online. There's a skill set. That's preparedness. Because if you can identify a couple hundred plant species at the end of two years in your area and you know what they're good for and what ones are dangerous, etc., you have a huge advantage in a long-term crisis situation. And you're smarter, and that's always good. Uh, next, and this is another skill set, but I've kind of put it off all by itself, and that's cooking. And uh, another—that's another one of those things where when I talk about cooking, people go, "That's not survivalism; it's just cooking." And I go, "Well, do you store food?" And they go, "Uh huh, yeah, of course I store food. Do you store lots of food? Yeah, I store lots of food. Do you store like months of food? Yeah. Why? Because you got to eat every day. Okay, fool. How, how? You know, do you not think that maybe you need to cook that food? Well, I'm just going to eat rice and beans. That'll get old. If you're gonna eat rice and beans, and, and again, I'm kind of paleo now, so I don't really eat a lot of rice and beans anymore. Uh, maybe you should learn how to really make it awesome, right? And I, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the paleo thing. Like, if I'm gonna eat something that would go really good with rice, I might steam a half a cup of rice and put a few tablespoons into that. So I don't, like, just hate rice. And of all the grains out there that I don't eat, rice is the one that I'm probably the most willing to still eat. But I am willing to use things like flour, and that's completely unpaleo, but I use very small amounts of it. Let me give you a great way to eat cheap and really flipping good. If you are just a husband and wife, you can do this with one. If you are a family with a couple kids, you might want to go and step up to two. But you can go buy a decent chicken, and a lot of you guys are eating free range and organic. And if you are, then you know it costs more. But a lot of you that make a big deal about it aren't doing it. It's like, but you go if I go to your house, I'm gonna see Purdue in your refrigerator. So if we go with mass farm bruised chicken, you're looking at five bucks for a big old chicken, and we can do organic for about twelve. But let's just go on the base level, because we're, I'm gonna assume here that right now money's more important than organic, if you're worried about burnout from finance. And if you're not, you just move and do what I do, which is I buy chickens from local producers around here that are, that are free-ranged and tractored, um, and pastured. But, let's go with the cheap chicken. Doesn't matter, because it all works the same. We take that chicken, and we put it in a roasting pan. Into the roasting pan, we basically do what Keith Snow taught us about the turkey. Onion, carrot, uh, and celery, It's chunky in the bottom. Chicken sits on top of that. We rub the chicken with some vegetable oil or olive oil. I like to use olive oil. And then we make up a mixture of thyme, oregano, sage, and basil. We chop that up, and that can all be fresh from our garden. And we sprinkle that all over our chicken. Parsley as well is really nice. Chop the parsley up. Put it on there, the big stems of the parsley. Shove that inside your chicken. Put two carrots, maybe two pieces of celery, two onions inside the chicken. Bake the chicken at 350 degrees. I like 340, a little bit lower. stays a little bit moister until it's done. Um, That's all depending on temperature and anything. But basically, you get to where you look at the chicken, you know it's done. right? So now we take our chicken out of the pan. We take all our, our chicken juices and stuff like that. We take all those vegetables, we put them to the side. Take the chicken. This is an important one. Take the chicken and set it in a large bowl. Give it about... And there's a reason you take it out of the pan when you do this, so it's not sitting in the juice that's already out yet. Set it in that bowl and wait about five to ten minutes. You will be amazed at how much juice continues to flow out of that bird as it as it as it cools. Then dump that juice into a measuring cup with the juice that was in the bottom of the pan. You'll probably have around a cup uh to two cups from uh one big bird. Take that and then make the gravy like Heath said. So that's real easy. It's about one uh, teaspoon of flour and one teaspoon of uh, butter. Uh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. It's about two teaspoons of butter and two teaspoons of flour per cup of stock you're working with. Put your butter and flour into a, a pot and melt it down. Actually, melt your butter first, then add your couple tablespoons of flour. Melt that down, dump your stock, and you make an awesome gravy. Salt, pepper to taste. There you go, chicken and gravy with the vegetables that were down there. If you like potatoes, I don't because there's too much starch, or if you like sweet potatoes, they can, any vegetable you want that can handle being roasted for that long can go in the bottom pan with your chicken, chicken and gravy, vegetables on the side. Dirt cheap meal, really, really good, and two people, one bird will never finish. And there'll be quite a bit left over. Couple days later, take that chicken carcass. Here's the secret. Get a big old meat cleaver, and cut it into small pieces, cutting through the bone so that the bone marrow is exposed because it's going to make a better stock. Throw that into a pot full of water with some salt and simmer it to make a broth. Add celery, carrots, parsley, and you've got a tremendous amount of herb flavor already into that chicken, and you have chicken soup. If you want rice or noodles with it, I suggest you make that separately. Pour it over that. Now you have another meal. My wife and I just used one bird. We ate chicken with gravy for dinner. I ate some chicken for lunch by cutting some leftover chicken off of it when I came home from the store when she went shopping and I I decided to come home. So that was another lunch. Then I made soup and we ate soup for dinner twice. One chicken. Now, if you don't have that skill set, you don't get that much mileage out of a single bird. And here's what happens. Either you end up spending more money buying cheap low-end food than buying the cheap low-end chicken and just using it, Or you end up choosing the cheap low-end chicken when actually, actually, you could have afforded the free-range pastured bird if you knew how to stretch it because you learned the skill. That's just one way you can take cooking skill set and improve your quality of life and I'll probably do a lot more shows on cooking with great ideas like the one I just gave you going into 2012. The next one is Herbology and it kind of goes in with the permaculture and gardening and the plant ID that I talked about earlier but there's so much information available online on herb identification, so many ways that you can exchange seeds with other people and get a bunch of different herb seeds growing, learn about making teas, learn about medicinals, learn about using it in your cooking Focusing on the herbology is huge. It's food, it's health, and it's medicine. And health and medicine are different things. Health is the daily tonifying effect of eating these fresh herbs and having them in your food and your cooking and your life or a tea to relax at night instead of too many beers, right? And the medicine is knowing how to make a compress that draws out an infection so that you don't need modern medical care and you can actually do a better job of trading something like a cut that got a little bit of infected. If you got gangrene, for God's sake, long before that happens, go to the doctor, right? But there's so many things we could do for ourselves if we'd work on that skill set. Foraging's another one, and I do kind of put it differently. There's almost always something out there to forage. And sometimes we don't even need to be foraging it for ourselves. If we don't really like all the work it takes to eat acorns, but there's a big, huge crop of white acorns this year, and we have chickens or pigs, well, we can go out and forage for our livestock. And it doesn't have to be a lot to just kind of add some diversity to their diet. And the permaculturist would say if you have the land, move the animals to the food instead of the food to the animals. But the small urban homesteader might find foraging just going down to the local city park and picking up some white acorn and crushing them for his chickens. It's a interesting way to spend the day, and it adds a dynamic to both the chicken and the chicken's products and the chicken's manure for fertilization. So that's, that's a way to stretch what foraging really means. But mostly what I mean are things like when the blackberries are out, I always get out and pick as many of them as I can. I use them in beer making, I use them in wine making, I use them fresh. And there's so many things out there. When I lived in Pennsylvania, there seemed like there was more berry options. Uh, and at certain times of the year, you could go out and you could just literally pick quarts and quarts and quarts of wild blueberry. Uh, it was so simple. And now they have these picking rakes that seem like they would make things so much faster and so much easier. It used to take a long time when I was a kid for little hands to fill a quart jar. But with these picking rakes, man, you could go so much faster. So there's, there's always something out there to be foraged. And I would put hunting and fishing along with that. Uh, learning about different things that are in your area that you can forage for. And sometimes it's food and sometimes it's a resource. So if you're doing hugel culture and you do like I did this year and you go out and you pick up old pieces of tree that are just beginning to rot and they'll make a better hugel culture bed than a good piece of hardwood that is better used as fuel, that's foraging for materials. And it doesn't cost anything. You know, maybe it's a buck's worth of gas over a week of uh, driving around because you don't want to carry that home on your back. But there's all types of things that you can forage for that improve your lot in life. And that leads me to the next one scrounging. Uh, tomorrow, Stephen Harris is going to be on. And he's going to talk about solar heating. And you're going to think, oh, God, there we're back to the financial limitations. But do you know how much glass you can scrounge for free? Do you know how many things out there you can scrounge into projects? that give you supplemental heat or supplemental energy. It's And there's plenty of other things that you can scrounge. You could turn scrounging into a business. You'd be amazed that there are people whose entire business is they scrounge stuff that other people don't want anymore, or they buy it very, very cheaply at yard sales, and then they go put it on eBay and Craigslist, and they actually make a living that way. Uh, and a very under-the-radar living. Let me just put it to you that way in a lot of ways. Um, so that's that's there. And scrounging is a skill set. So it's not something I do a ton of, but I do keep my eyes peeled for certain things. And if I see something I think I can use that, I'm likely to go see if it's okay for me to pick it up. It's down the scrounge like I live in the woods now. There's leaves everywhere, but I have to pick them up. But I like leaves to be shredded and and branches to be shredded for mulch. Well, all the people down in town that are dummies that don't understand the value of that stuff right now are setting it out on the curb. So I'll drive around and pick it up, bring it home, shred it up, and use it. And then I don't have to rake it up. And the stuff that falls where it falls on my land just stays there, does it naturally. And the stuff I want to heavily mulch, I can acquire and let somebody else do the work. Scrounging is not always dumpster diving. There's always a way to expand your understanding of things. That's something I like to focus on. Community building. I try to spend a lot of time talking to the people in the area and a lot of time talking to them about basic preparedness. And I guess it's easy for me because I always get the question, well, what do you do? But what I found more and more, and I think a lot of people that are afraid to breach the subject would be surprised at how many people are very, very receptive to this message now. And I think if you build community, and I don't think it has to be prepper community. If you like to fish, build a community of people that like to go fishing together. If you like to bowl, build a community of people that like to go bowling together. So much for saving money as expensive as that damn thing has gotten now. It's a, I, I was shocked I took uh, my family bowling when they were up here from uh, Arlington for something to do with the kids. And, man, it was expensive, but whatever it is, build a community around stuff that you like, not just preparedness. And you'll be surprised at how many people are also into some level of preparedness as well. But if you don't want to burn out, you need people around you that you feel good about being with. And I think a lot of us, with the way families melted down in the 80s and 90s, lack that community that family used to give us. And if we can't fix that, then we need to find it in other people. So definitely focus on community building. Um, I also am a huge fan still of air gun and soft air shooting. And it's because it's so cheap and it can damn near be free. And I can shoot guns out my back door whenever I want to now, but there's a cost. And even 22s, you know, it adds up over time. And what I'm really concerned with my shooting is my muscle memory and my accuracy. And I can do a lot of that, not 100%, but a lot of that with air guns and soft air. And with soft air, you can set up targets with a backdrop. And you can literally recycle those pellets over and over and over again. And I know if you have a $300 custom electric gun that you go play war games with, that's not a good idea. But in a $30 pistol, uh, it doesn't matter, right? Because you're going to probably put 5,000, 10,000 rounds through it before the spring wears out. And anyway, you're going to buy another one. So that's a lot of shooting for 30 bucks and reusing the pellets. So that's just a little side that I put in there. But I like shooting as well. Uh, not just the airsoft and soft air. I do a lot of my shooting with my 22s. I take my AR, but they, that starts to add up. And not everybody has a location they can do it. My big thing with airsoft and soft air is when I lived in Arlington, I could do that in my backyard every single day with nobody bitching. And the one time that somebody bitched, the cop came out and said, seriously? This is what they're bitching about? Uh, you know, sir, I can't tell you who it was because we're not supposed to do that. But I'm going to go have a conversation with them right now and tell them not to waste our time again. So that's, that's why I'm a big fan of it because anybody can do it. And a lot of people out there that have injuries to their neck, their shoulder, their back that have issues with recoil that can do it when necessary, but practicing repetitively causes them physical problems. And I know one of our folks from the forum in particular who's, that's exactly the case for him that now does a lot more shooting because he doesn't have to deal with the recoil of the weapon. And for some people with certain conditions, even things like a 22, just that little flip, after a while, it starts to aggravate their conditions. Or they just, because of their condition, can't get out to places where they can shoot a firearm, even a 22. Even if that wouldn't bother them, they can't get out there and do it as much, but they can get out in their backyard. Some people, in training your family members, it's a lot safer entry. So it's something I'm a huge fan of. And you can spend a ton of money on it, or you can spend almost nothing on it if you do it smart. And I think it's really a great way to improve the self-defense and the game-getting skill set of firearms without the danger, the expense, and the need for an area where you can actually do it. I'm also big on functional fitness, and I think my definition of functional fitness is very different from a lot of people out there using the term. My definition of functional fitness is can you get around every day in a good, healthy way and feel good about yourself? So my biggest thing on functional fitness is get off your ass and take a walk. I think a lot of you that are burning out, whether it's prepper burnout or life burnout or whatever, if you started walking 30 minutes to an hour a day, and I did not care where you go, you'd feel a lot better about yourself, you'd feel a lot better about life, and you'd be a hell of a lot healthier. The human body was made for walking. It was not meant to lay on a bench and push a barbell up and down 10 times, 5 sets, until muscle fatigue. You can do a lot with that. I used to lift weights. I still think I have the frame that shows that. And I don't think I would have that frame if I didn't do it. And I think that muscle's valuable. And I think there's a place and time for it. But that's not what the human body was meant to do. The human body is not meant to do push-ups. If you think it is, talk to people that spent at least 10 years in the military and see how many of them have rotator cuff indus- injuries. And then I'm going to get the comments from people today about, if you do proper push-ups, there is no such thing. Because the body is not meant to do repetitive motion. A proper push-up, I'll tell you what a proper push-up is. It's what I still do. It's one push-up and it takes almost two minutes to complete. Do that every day. That's not repetitive motion. That won't damage your body. That won't heat up your internal organs and cause other damage that I won't go in today. But the big thing is walking. Get off your ass and walk. And if you're doing permaculture and herbology and scrounging and and, skill set improvement and foraging, you're going to do a lot of walking anyway. Well, walk more. You know, just take a walk somewhere. Start tracking your progress. Schedule it into your day or you'll just find a way to not do it. Um, I also focus a lot on building this business and building other business units. And I think that it's something that a lot of you that are on the fence about need to strongly consider. It's amazing how optimistic you become when you start to be be in control of your life. And if you're not in control of your income, you're never fully in control of your life. There's a lot that we talk about every day that can reduce the income requirement to where you have to do very little work relative to the average person to sustain yourself. And you can kind of enter a form of early retirement if you do this stuff the right way. But that process accelerates massively when you build your own business. And it doesn't have to be a business like I'm doing. It doesn't have to be to this size or this level. A business that makes twenty or $30,000 a year can change the lives of a person forever, forever. So I think it's really a great idea. Again, I'm doing five minutes with Jack at Jackspeargo.com. If you want to know everything I know about business, I'm giving it away for free there, just like I do every day here. But there's not even a monetization thing into that thing. I don't know if there ever will be. I just don't know. It's it's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I'm a passionate teacher and I want more people to be free. I can't tell you how many people have emailed me and said, hey, I have a business now. This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. And your show, and not, not five minutes to check, this show inspired me that I could do it. The fact that someone else did it told me, well, maybe I can do it too. And I'm now successful. And that doesn't mean that these people are you know driving Lamborghinis or some shit like that. A lot of them still have a job, but I know a person that has a job, but they're making ten or $20,000 a year extra money, can build that into a full-time income if they desire, or keep it at that level if they desire, and they can change their lives forever. And eventually, it can lead them to a transition that is a form of early retirement. Maybe it just means that they don't have to be gone all the time, that they can actually enjoy their family and their home that they work so hard for. So that's why I focus on entrepreneurship, and I know it's not for everybody, folks, but foraging's not for everybody, scrounging's not for everybody, permaculture's not for anybody. It really is, but some people aren't going to do it. I'm okay with that. So when you hear me talk about building a business and you go, I don't want to do that, fine. Focus on the other 90 things that I talked about that day. You know, I mean, come on. And, and the reality is, I think a lot of you that say you're not interested, you don't believe you can. And if you don't have the passion and the heart for it, it's going to be very, very difficult. But if you can find the passion and the heart for it, anybody can today. That wasn't true 25 years ago. It really wasn't. It's true today. Because if you can get a 1,000 people to love what you do so much, they're willing to spend one day's earnings a year with you. The 1,000 True Fans model, that alone will pay just about every bill that you could ever have in your life if you live sane and rationally. And trust me, if you're interested in it, there's more than a thousand people out there that are interested in it too. It's up to you to make it unique. That's all I'm going to say on that today. Uh, another thing I spend a lot of time on, and it's not always about permaculture or uh, self-reliance or self-sufficiency or anything like that. Sometimes it's just general stuff increasing my knowledge. I think if you are learning something every day, and hopefully every day you turn into the show, you learn one or two things that you wouldn't have learned had you not tuned in. So the education is built in with some level of entertainment. But, but other places you can do that as well. Um, I put out a while ago that you can go to the National Academies Press and get all of these ebooks for free. And you know what most of you did? It's all global warming nonsense. Well, that's because you looked up climate change. Don't do that. If you go to a government agency right now and you look up climate change, you're going to get a one-sided view of an issue that's all bullshit. And most of us are aware of that. And those that aren't, you can go there and read it and be happy that they agree with you. That's not my point. So I'm going to put out today for you guys. I was going to put it in the MSB, but you have to request permission to distribute it. It looks like a whole bunch of government crap. And if you want to download these things for free, all you have to do is join the site for free. And you can download any of the books in the PDF for free. I'm going to point out four of them for you today. And and one of them I've had on the show before I've talked about. It's called Micro Livestock. That's great for your homesteading stuff. But there's another one called Lost Crops of the Incas which is just all this awesome information about stuff that the Inca nation and South American uh, natives lived on for years that we've kind of lost touch with as food sources. And then there's three, actually there's five because there's three more. Lost Crops of Africa, one, two, and three, grains, fruits, and vegetables. And I'm going to point out those five books to you. They're like four or 500 pages each. You think there's something there you might be able to learn? And if that's not your cup of tea, go elsewhere or look into a different subject. But there's so much free knowledge out there today. It's why I think the college system is outdated. I think it's why we've, it, it's outlived its existence. Instead of harnessing this and tailoring educational programs for people, they've stuck with their rigid, dogmatic, bullshit approach, where a guy that's supposed to be learning how to be an engineer to work on the space shuttle has to take French, you know, 14th century French poetry or some nonsense like that. You're free! you understand how free you are in spite of all the encroachment on liberty? When it comes to knowledge, there has never been a state in time where human beings are more free than we are today. Use it. Build your knowledge on anything and everything that you love or even are remotely interested in. You will find there's something you really think you're interested in. You'll learn a little bit about it and go, eh, not so much. right? Or, okay, I've kind of got all I need out of that. I'll go somewhere else next. Build your knowledge daily. Learn something new every day. Don't focus just on the stuff we talk about here. Learn something completely new and arbitrary every day. It will be impossible to be a burned out person. If you learn something new every day and not another reason that the Fed might collapse or whatever, but you learn something that's intrinsically true about This planet and this place and the people around you and the things around you and the life around you, the science around you, the the biology, the physics of life. Something that will be true 100 years from now and was true 100 years ago. You learn something like that every day and it's amazing how it changes your viewpoint. And all of a sudden, this is what happens. It's like mental exercise. And just like physical exercise makes us able to jump higher or run faster, or avoid danger physically than if we didn't do that exercise. Mental exercise allows us to look at a problem and go, problem, problem, two problems, solution. I'm going to implement that in my life now. You want to know why? People say to me, how the hell do you come up with all this stuff? Because I learn something new every day. I learn something new every day. And I learn so much by teaching. And there's a lesson there too. Why do you think I'm doing five minutes with Jack? It's not just because I care about you. I care about me too. I do, really. I do. I'll admit it like any other human being. I care about myself and my family. And I know if I don't take care of myself and my family, I can't do this show for you. I can't provide this service, right? I can't do it. So it's a two-way street. But if I want to be a better businessman, then when I teach business, it will make me a better business person. The more I help people build their own thing, the better I'll do at building my own. So there's some some, uh, self-interest there. It's not selfishness, but it is self-interest. And it's all about increasing knowledge. And then this is the big one. Find joy in your life. If you can't find at least one thing to be really happy about every day, then you need to smack yourself in the face, call yourself an ass clan, and tell yourself to pull your head out of your fourth point of contact. For you civilians, that means pull your head out of your ass. And that's the damn honest truth. Unless you're locked up in a prison somewhere, there is something new for you to be joyful and happy about every day of your life. And if you learn one new thing and find one thing to be happy about every day, burnout is a thing of the past. And that's not just about prepping, that's about life. And see, this is the big thing, and this is where sometimes I go into these areas and people go, that's not survivalism. Yes, it is. If the quality of your life is shit, what is there to survive for? We need to be happy, optimistic, energetic people with solutions, right? The, the media will always paint the modern survivalist as the person that points to the problem. We need to say, you can point whatever you want. We don't give a shit. We focus on solutions over here. When you focus on solutions, people want to be with you. They want to be part of what you're doing. They want some of that. They look at you and go, I don't know what you're drinking, but give me a few drops of your blood in my drink because I want what you have, that's not burnout. You know? That, that's being on fire with passion for life. If you're not on fire with passion for life, well, what do you want to survive for? The hell with it. Lay down and go to eternal sleep. Well, I mean, what point is there to surviving if you're miserable? So you've got to find joy in your life. Find joy in your partner. Find joy in your children. Find joy in your family. Find joy in your community. Find joy in your faith. Find joy in whatever it is that does it. Find it in nature. You want to find, if you if you're having trouble with this, I got a solution for you. Tomorrow, set your alarm, even if you normally don't, for a time before the sun rises, get a steaming hot cup of your beverage of choice, bundle up if it's cold, and go watch the sunrise. And if that doesn't bring you joy, you need to check your flipping pulse. And if that's not going to give you some level of anticipation for a day in advance, why are you concerned with your survival? Are you going to be a rat in a maze and you're just hoping to get through the other end of it so you can get into the next maze? Or do you want to climb up on top of the maze and look at it and go, man, I don't really care about this anymore and opt out? That's what I want to do. I want to opt out of society's bullshit. That's what I'm trying to help you do. To opt out of the lie that you have to do things their way. You don't have to do things their way. You shouldn't do things their way. And their way, society's way of doing things, brings only one thing to the majority of people. Misery. Misery and anguish. There are mi- they're miserable people out there. There's people stepping on each other to get a $200 laptop right now. There's old ladies that will elbow another old lady to get to the front of the line to buy some Chinese-made piece of crap that should know better. That's what their way brings. Misery, anguish, and competitiveness for resources we don't even really want. If you have a big house and you haven't cleaned house in a long time, go rent a dumpster and start going through everything in your home. And everything that you just think, nobody's going to want this and I don't want this, pitch it in there. you will be surprised at how high you fill it before you call them to take it away. That's what society's way brings. And that's why they don't like what we do. Because our way actually is better. It's sane. It's rational. It doesn't mean we don't have stuff. I have an iPhone. I think it's really cool. I have a GPS. I think it's really cool. But I have one <laughs> Not 20. And that's where we start, we need to start getting back to in our lives. Preparedness is not about how much stuff you have. And if you think it is, yes, that will lead you to burnout. Preparedness is about your mental state and your ability to improvise and adapt and overcome because everything you save can be taken away like that. You know, in a second, bam, it's gone. Because the house collapsed. Everything and it's gone. It burned down. Everything and it's gone. There's things we can do to mitigate that, but let's face it. Anything you can acquire can also be lost. Except your heart, your soul, your spirit, your knowledge, and your joy and exuberance and passion for life. Those are yours. And we have a society that's been built on tearing those things down and selling us a false Dream a false reality that the next purchase with the platinum card with the airline miles is going to bring us joy and happiness. And then we sit there and we look at $20,000 worth of credit card debt and we can't even find the stuff in the house that the debt came from and we sigh. Well, the only thing you can do if you're there is understand there is a path out. I had to walk it too. Right? I'm not like the guy that never drank that tells you not to drink. <laughs> I did the dead thing. I got myself into a big pile of shit, and I had to climb out of it. It sucked, but it was worth doing. And there's light at the tunnel on the other side. And you, even while you're still digging out of that hole, you just start living this way. And it'll make everything so much more powerful and better in your life. But there's your solution to burnout, folks. Focus on gaining knowledge. Focus on finding joy in your life. Focus on community. Focus on family. Focus on the things that matter. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer, it's like there's nothing I can do.